turn there if you'd like to. Um, man, I hope that, I hope you appreciate what you get to do here on a Sunday morning and then just the quality and the excellence that these people bring to our time on Sunday morning. So I hope you appreciate that. Yeah, I think that that's appropriate. Because <clears throat> I know their hearts and I know they're not here to play and they're not here to perform and they are truly interested in, in um, leading you to have an experience with the Lord. So that, that takes, that's a lot more than just the hard work of physical work of getting ready. There's a lot of spiritual work that, that's there. So I appreciate what I know they bring to the table each week. Um, again, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 4 if you want to go there. We'll um, also at a point now in our church where we're doing our legacy giving, our building campaign. Uh, we are in the, the throes of all those fun conversations right now about location and, and all those kinds of things, and there are conversations we're going to have this week. Um, as soon as we find out what the Lord's got or where we think He's leading, we'll come and we'll let you know. Um, but we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. So continue to pray toward that. Start giving. If you haven't started giving, start giving. We need to have about 500000 in the bank um, to make this happen, whatever it is the Lord's going to take us to. So um, give toward that, all right? Um, and there's more information about that online and in the worship guide. Um, Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, I was reading this week that in, in um, 2018, so it wasn't that far away ago, 2018, uh, there was a survey that said that 93% of Americans, if they had to... Uh, define, describe what their, their goal in life is or what their journey in life is all about, 93% of them said that they were on a quest for joy and happiness. 93% of us are saying, I want joy and happiness in my life. I'm trying to put my life together in such a way that it leads me to joy and happiness. So what's kind of come out about that, 2018 wasn't the first time that we've seen that. Um, from people. Um, we've known this for quite a while, and in our very American consumeristic way of living life, um, uh, marketing uh, firms have done now what they call joy marketing. So they found a way to sell you joy and to sell you happiness. And this has been going on for a long time. Basically, the idea is, is that you take your product, whatever it is, and you identify what brings people joy from your product, and you build a campaign around that. You sell the effects of joy, and people will buy it. So on the one hand, that joy dishwashing soap, they had it easy, right? I mean, that's their name, right? So they had it. On the other hand, the Beano people had a hard time coming up with a, a tagline for that. But you go back to like 1971, a famous Coca-Cola ad. I'd like to what? Buy the world a Coke and keep it company, right? And everybody's singing together, and it's joy. They weren't selling you Coke at that point. They were selling you peace and harmony and joy and love and happiness and satisfaction. McDonald's doesn't sell your children a smash-down hamburger. They sell them a Happy Meal. See what I'm saying? They're not stupid, y'all. They've been doing this for a long time, and they know how to get your money. They're selling you happiness, right? I thought this would be a lot harder for us to kind of figure this out, but actually it's pretty easy. I ran across an ad this week that I think summarizes stuff. So if you would play that quick ad for us. I was your classic busy mom. Husband and I both worked. Babysitter bailed. Three kids. Oh, careful. You know, busy. But it was the little things that really drove me to the edge. Laundry that piled up. Garbage not getting taken out. And apparently, everyone in my family thought that light bulbs just changed themselves. Anyway, 
One day I was making BLTs for lunch when I said, Honey, can you change the light bulb? The next day I was making bacon for the salad and I said, Can you set the tape? It was like, oh. Change your life with bacon. Honey, could you move the... I mean, dude, it is, it's all about bacon. I knew there was something there all this time. It's just as simple as bacon. I thought that was great. There was no vegetables in that commercial. I just want to point that out. Just bacon. Oh, shoot, there was lettuce. <laughs> something, somewhere, someone, we are looking for something, right? To bring us joy and satisfaction and rest for our souls, right? Like that deep, deep rest for our souls, that place deep inside of us that is longing to be filled up. We are searching for whatever that is. I think the good news that we'll run across today is that bacon fills that up. I think the good news that we'll run across today is that God has a rest for us, and it's his rest. He has a rest for us, and it is God's rest that he is offering to us for our souls. So we're going to look at that today and see how God comes to meet us in that place and to fill us up, right? And how easy it might be for us to miss it if we're not careful, all right? So look in, in chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. He said, therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it wasn't united by faith in those who heard. So I need you to remember, and if you haven't been here, let me remind you, uh, or inform you that he has been talking about Old Testament Jews who did not enter the rest of God. So this is very much still tied to this Old Testament story of God's people being saved, the Jews being saved from uh, slavery, and then not entering to the promised land. So that's kind of his context for this entire conversation. So he's talking about an entire generation, maybe all of them except for just a handful of them, who had experienced freedom from slavery, literal physical slavery, who had seen God's provision, who had experienced God's protection. And all of them, the vast majority of them went, and this is what it says in the scriptures prior to this, it says they went astray in their hearts, they hardened their hearts, and they fell into unbelief. And because of that, they didn't enter into the rest that God had for them. And then this thing, this passage that we're saying says, okay, there's a rest for me and there's a rest for you. You need to be afraid that you don't get that rest. You need to fear that you wouldn't enter that rest. Who is it that doesn't enter into that rest? Those who don't believe. He's really clear about this. Those who have hard hearts. Those who are disobedient. What does that look like? That's those of us, quite frankly, in this room probably. Many of us who grew up in church. And we prayed a prayer, and we got baptized, and we went on some mission trips, and we maybe led a small group or even some ministries in our church, but we're unsaved, unchanged, unregenerate. That there are those among us who are not of us. 
And I would say this morning, listen, there's no shame in this right now. The lie that we tell ourselves, the enemy tells ourselves is, you can't let anybody know. The minute somebody knows that you're really not a Christian, that you've been playing a game, they're going to lose all respect for you. You're going to lose any position that you have, any influence that you have, or power, or place of ministry that you may have. You're going to lose all of it. Don't say anything. Just keep playing the game. Listen, there's no shame in this of where you're at right now. The scripture doesn't say, be afraid that you would be exposed as a fake. Be, ex be afraid that you would be exposed for who you really are. It says, fear, be afraid that you would maintain the self and the public deception to the point that you never enter into God's rest. That's what it says to be afraid of. Not that we would come out and say, man, I've been faking it. I've been trying really hard to be good. I want you to think I'm something I'm real. I know in my heart that I'm not. That's not what we're, not, we're supposed to be afraid of. We're supposed to be afraid that we would maintain that deception to the end and never really enter into God's rest. So it says, let us be afraid of that. And for some people, we don't like this text because we're not supposed to fear. We have this very, I would say, elementary understanding of Scripture and fear and all that kind of stuff. And we're like, oh, all fear is bad. We're not supposed to be afraid. I don't like the way this text is worded. So do we need to soften it? Do we need to back off the fact that it says, let us be afraid? This is a harsh statement for some of us in here. And you're like, well, it says don't fear 365 times in the Bible. That's one for every day. Shouldn't fear. So here in this text, let's put it in context and understand what it's saying. Here in this text, it says this. Be afraid. Be afraid because you can get bored and bitter and you begin to trust yourself and you can begin to trust something else or someone else. You can harden your heart against God's word. You can consistently refuse to step into life and faith because of other fears. Be afraid because you will miss God's rest. And quite frankly, my friend, that calls into question whether or not you were ever in God in the first place. That's the scary message of the book of Hebrews. Not that you lose your salvation, but that you would fool yourself into thinking you are when you're not. So it says, be afraid. Now, what is this coming short? He says, let us be afraid. While a promise remains of rest, any one of you may have come short of it. What does that little phrase mean, to come short? Or what does that look like? It means this. It's the person who sits here this morning and daily, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever, you say in your heart to God, I don't believe you. I don't believe what I have already seen you do in my life or in somebody else's life. I don't believe what you say. I don't believe that you will or you can deliver rest for me. I would rather live in bondage to my work or entertainment or sex or controlled substances or pills or fantasy football or spouse or my children or my house because I can control those things and those are the things that I will ensure will bring satisfaction to my soul. That's what it looks like to harden your heart. That's what it looks like to slip out of faith and trusting in God and his word and promises and doing it yourself. This is what it looks like to come short. So what is this rest that he's talking about? Because, man, I really want to know. I think you want to know. If this is our, our, our heart's cry, the deepest longing and desire of our hearts, we want to know what it is right? Not let it be conceptual. We want it to be something we can really grab onto. So look in verse 3. 
For he who believed, oh, sorry, for we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day. Today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them a rest, he would not have spoken another day of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter to that rest so that no one will fail or fall through following the same example of disobedience. So he goes into his biblical argument, and if you don't know the Old Testament, you're already lost, okay? So he goes into this Old Testament argument. He brings up three examples of Old Testament rest to help us better understand the rest that he's talking about to us. There remains a Sabbath rest for us today, he says. And he uses these three examples to help us understand what that rest is. So what is this rest? I'll say it again. This is the fourth week in a row I've said this. God's rest is not salvation. Don't conflate those two ideas, okay? I think they are part and parcel. They go together, but they're not talking about the same thing. So don't get, you will get very confused in the book of Hebrews if you try to make those two things the same, okay? So it is not salvation. Here's what it is, and I've said it before, and I want to say it again. Rest is the fullness of life that logically and necessary, necessarily follows salvation. It's the fullness of life in Christ that logically flows from that. If you're walking with Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus to save you, be the Lord of your life, a fullness of life comes with that. And if you are in Christ, it necessarily follows from that. It must come from following Christ, from believing in Him, from trusting in Him daily. There's a fullness of life that comes with that. That's what he means when he talks about rest. So Scripture, the Bible's assumption is that if you are saved, you will enter that rest. This is why he spends so much time in these first five, six chapters talking about this, because it's incomprehensible to this author that you would say you were saved and you would not enter into the rest of God, that you wouldn't push through in perseverance, you wouldn't push through and live your life as much as you can daily to honor him. We'll have failures. It's not perfection. This is not a perfectionist idea at all. So he talks about these three things, and I want to break them out for us. First of all, he, say, he talks about God. He, he talks about creation. What did God do on Saturday? Rested, right? Our children know the story, okay? He rested on Saturday. God rested after creation. Was, because, was he tired? Whew, man, I am so tired of speaking things into existence. Whew, I got to take a break, right? That is not where God's coming from. God isn't resting because he's tired. He's doing a couple things. First of all, to set a pattern because all living beings need rest. All we were created to have rest, okay? We're all created that way. So he sets a pattern for us to follow because he's our father. So he sets an example for us to follow him in rest. So there's first just setting the pattern. He also does this because he celebrates. What does he do when he, when he rests? He looks at all of it and he says, this is good. This is really good. And then I think he kind of 
he probably had a good time celebrating when Adam's naming everything he owned. I mean, how cool is that? You bring your son, and you're like, dude, look what all I've made. Give everything a name. Let's just have a fun time naming everything. And at some point, you're running out of stuff like platypus. I don't know what that is. You know what I'm saying? You're running out of names for things, I guess, at some point or another. So he's enjoying his time, uh, celebrating the work that he's done. So God rested after creation. Second thing he brings up is Joshua's rest. So you've gone past Exodus. They're out of the, the slavery in Egypt. They've gone through the desert, the wilderness. They get to the book of Joshua, chapter 1 and 2. What are they doing? They've got to cross over the Jordan River to go into the promised land. So he references that next, okay? God's creation rest, Joshua's rest, entering, entering into the promised land. Now go look at that. That was not a promise. God was not saying if you walk into this place of rest, you're not going to have any turmoil or loss or challenges. You will experience and you will intentionally walk into those things, the challenges of life, the struggles of life, knowing and trusting that God is bringing you his best. That's the rest of God in this world. That you will walk into the challenges and the giants in the land knowing that God's bringing them your way to bring you his very best. That, that is a place where we can rest on a daily basis and not get overwhelmed by the challenges of this world. The land was part of their rest. And then he quotes Psalm 95, which is King David, and the author makes that point. He's like, listen, so God rested. There was a rest in the promised land. And then he says, and if it still wasn't available, how could David talk about it hundreds of years later when he writes Psalm 95? And in Psalm 95, he talks about God's rest for God's people. So he's tracking with you this rest that is for God's people all throughout history. Then he talks about a Sabbath rest, which we'll talk about in just a moment. We're going to really unpack that. Because he says that's what's available for us. There is still a Sabbath rest for you, for God's people. So we want to understand what that is. Then there's an eternal rest. There's heaven, right? And our gospel, our old southern gospel songs really talk about that, where we cross over, over Jordan into Canaan land, right? Into the promised land. And so there's this heavenly rest that comes later on, right, that lasts for an eternity. But he says right now, there is a Sabbath rest for God's people. So what is that? Now, some of us, I remember on Sundays, first of all, most restaurants were closed. And in Texas, you could buy a hammer, but you couldn't buy nails. Remember hardware stores? They would have a blue aisle in a hardware store, and they would block off things that you couldn't buy on a Sunday in a hardware store, right? Because we were trying to codify, we were trying to put into law a Sabbath rest on a Sunday is what we were trying to do. They're called blue laws, okay? And some of us remember those things. So even in our culture, we've done our best to try to figure out what does it mean to have a Sabbath rest on Sunday, right? So what does that mean for us? So to be clear, and I really want to be clear about this, the only Sabbath day in Scripture is Saturday. There is not a one-to-one -one correlation between a Christian Sunday and a Jewish Saturday, all right? We, we've tried that, you know, and it just doesn't work, all right? And it's not even what Scripture says, so don't confuse those two things, all right? Like that we're supposed to somehow get legalistic about Sunday now, okay? Now, some of you just got super offended, so we're going to unpack that a little bit, all right? We're going to keep drilling down into that. Sunday is not Sabbath. We need to be clear about what Scripture says. Sunday replaces the day of worship because it's the day Jesus came back from the dead. 
By the way, that's one of the strongest arguments we have of the early church of Jesus rising from the dead because hardcore Jews change their day of celebration and worship from Saturday to Sunday. They ain't doing that for tiny reasons. That has to be something major that happened in their lives to cause them to change worship from a Saturday to a Sunday. Okay? So for us, it replaces the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday because that's the day that Christ came from the dead, but it does not replace Saturday as a day of rest. I'm not advocating Saturday as your day of rest either. Okay? So let's just keep pushing down into this. First thing I would say is, we need rest. You need rest. Your soul needs rest. Your mind needs rest. Your body needs rest. Daily, weekly, on a regular basis, you have got to have rest. This is hardcore built into the Old Testament. Is this not one of the top ten commandments? Right? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy? This idea that you have got to quit and shut down, also built within the, the Jewish system, would be every seventh year was a year of rest, and every 70th year was a year of, of victory and celebration that we took off the whole year. Slaves were released from captivity and from bondage at that point. So it's built in hard into the Jewish system that we're supposed to rest because we need it. God made us that way. The fall didn't make, make us need rest. We needed rest because God created us that way. Okay? So we need this kind of rest. I'm not going to read these texts, but in Matthew chapter 12, verses 5 through 6, Mark chapter 2, verse 27, 28, Jesus talks specifically about this. Here's what he says in those verses. I'm going to paraphrase. He says, I'm greater than David in the Old Testament. I'm a greater king. I'm greater than the temple in the Old Testament. I am a walking, breathing temple. Okay? I'm the best way, place, to worship God, the way that vehicle to God. And he basically says this, I am the living Sabbath rest. It's me. We clamor for a day or a pill or a drink or an experience or a house or some health issue or some fun and we're like, give me rest. Let my soul just stop. Let me find that place, that time when I can just be still and be quiet and be filled up where I'm just kind of resting and so we slip into look at how religious I am and look how good I am I'm resting in my goodness and our souls are in turmoil and we're just turned upside down at four o'clock in the morning and our our hearts have these little tiny pierced holes in them and everything we shove in just leaks out over time. And worry and the cares of this world and our own fears, they're just unable to fill us up because our, holes are, our, our hearts are incomplete and they can't hold what we're trying to shove in there. So the scripture says this, Jesus is our Sabbath. It's greater. So you want to push Sunday on me? I'm going to push Jesus back on you guys. He is our Sabbath. He is our rest. And it's greater than any day of the week. He comes into us and he brings us a depth and a lasting peace that we can't even imagine. This is God's invitation to us. When you read Hebrews chapter 4, this is what God's inviting us into. His rest for our souls. This is the great invitation of Scripture. 
that we would be invited into the rest of God that comes through Christ in us. It's God's invitation to us. It's promised to us that we are his and that we will, uh, he will always be near us in our hearts, hearts and our souls. Colossians chapter 2 says this, <laughs> Therefore don't let anybody judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So Pastor Joe's not making this up. This is in Scripture. Jesus is our soul rest. We don't, and we never did, and we don't need one day a week to rest. That's not the point. We need rest 24-7, 365 days a year. We need it all the time. We don't need primarily physical rest. We need soul rest. And not just from the struggles of the toils of this world, man. We need rest from the things that wear out our souls. Fear. Working to please God. Working to find something that can satisfy our deepest longing for meaning in this world. Worrying that you won't ever find meaning or satisfaction. And that nothing can fill you up. And that you will look in the wrong place on the wrong person all the time and never have your soul, its deepest desires, met and filled up. We need rest from the fear of death and the judgment that we know we deserve. You know you deserve God's judgment. All of us do. If we're going to be honest with it at the end of the day, you know you don't deserve anything but God's judgment. And we need something somehow to find our souls a place of peace in that. We all need a day of rest and we need a day of worship for our souls. We need a day of celebrating life with each other, enjoying God's work in and through us. Sunday works well for most of us, and you, it should, which he'll talk about later in the book of Hebrews, by the way. But for the real rest that we're talking about, that this text is offering us, you've got to celebrate it every day. Every moment that you can relax in Christ, counting on him to get you to God, to keep you close to God, that he will satisfy your soul. That is Christian rest. That's the offer that's being made here, not a day of the week. Now listen, when you rest, when you finally find that place or you slip into that groove, man, you know, in your spiritual walk, you are preaching things. You're, you're proclaiming things about God. Here's what that tells other people when you can really rest. You testify that others, that Jesus is enough to satisfy your soul. You testify, you proclaim to your spiritual enemies that you're free and that they can never enslave you again. You tell God Think about this. You tell God that you are content with what he has given you and what he's given you to do in life. You tell others that you're okay, that in Jesus you're acceptable to God, and that your shortcomings will be worked on over time and worked out over time in God's power, but you're okay and God loves you. I can rest in that. Sabbath rest is huge, and you can do it at work. When everybody else is freaking out around you, you can do it at work and rest in who God's made you to be and who he is and what he's doing in your life. You can do it at home, you can do it in the car. You can rest in God. This is such an important thing. Some of us are like, well, I'll rest when I get to church on Sunday. Right now, I'm gonna ram that guy off the road, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? You can have that rest all the time. God sees the truth about us. Here's the thing, right? We think we're fooling God. We think we're tricking God. We think we're pretending and God can't figure it out. God sees the truth about who we are. 
God knows who we are. And here's the good thing about God. He wants you to see it too. Not because he's mean, but because he's kind. Because he's good and he loves you. He wants you to look inside your heart and know who you really are. So look in the next couple of verses here because they seem out of place. Verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions, the motivations of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And you're like, why is this here? <laughs> how, do, how did this author shove these two verses in this place? How do we understand them? Because normally we lift these out uh, to kind of talk about something else, to talk about the Bible primarily. But what's he talking about? And how do we understand this? This is shocking, I think, when you read this, but it talks about the Bible. It talks about God's word being a sword. Now, in context, just to read it in the text and let the text say what it says, this is what that means. It means that when God says something about you, when God's word says something about you and who you are without God and what has to happen to receive rest, when God's word speaks into those things, it is sharp and it will cut through to the truth and it cannot be ignored. So when God tells you you have a giant hole in you, even as a believer, and you're still shoving stuff in there, and you're pretending to be good, and you want people to see you in a certain way, and God says, I see you, and I know that you don't have this rest. I know that your soul, your soul is in turmoil. That's what this means. The sword of God's word is able to cut through to the reality of who you and I really are. God's word cuts through to the real me and you. We get stripped of our talents and our work and our deep efforts to make sure that everyone believes that I really am that person. That my family really is that family. That my kids really are those kids. And the grandparenting and retirement really is that time of life. And that I really am a Christian. The word of God strips down to the core of that and says, no, you're not this and you're not this and you're not this. Here's really who you are. Listen, are you playing a game? Are you pretending? Are you sitting here for the 1,000th time and you're hearing the gospel for like the 100 millionth time and you just continue in your hardness? You continue to not believe God? You continue to believe that some prayer that you prayed a long time ago and a lot of hard work in church and church attendance has saved you? You need to submit to the word of God and what it's revealing about you right now. He says this multiple times in the text. Today, today, today. While it's today, hear this word today. Don't think you're gonna walk out of here pretending and that things are gonna get better or no one's gonna know just because you survived this service. God knows and he sees and he desperately wants you to see the real true reality of the state of your heart with him. And his word is cutting through you even now to expose you. This text is really odd in the way it's worded and, and what it's saying to us. It says that it's laid bare, right? Everything is laid bare in the eyes of God. It's telling us that without Christ and without Christ being the center of us, we're naked and exposed. That's the idea. It's, it's nudity. We're naked in front of God. 
We're, we're, na- we're nude in front of him. He sees it all. Now that word for a Greek and for an Old Testament Hebrew would have meant, meant something else. It wouldn't have just been that God sees you. God knows everything. It would have meant this. It would have meant that to be laid bare in the sacrificial system for a Jew, and that's who's reading this book in the first place, that's the word they used when they took a lamb and they grabbed it by its chin and they lifted up its head for the priest to slit its throat. You are laid bare before the word of God. And without Christ, you know what happens? Your sins and your perversity and your ability, your attempts to hide from God who you really are are the knife in God's hand with his word as it exposes you and you have to die for that. This is the picture that's being painted for us here. We're not playing around. This isn't church and feel good and I love that song. We have to move past that. What is the true status of my walk with God? What does my heart with God really stand? That's the only question for us to be asking this morning. It says we are exposed before God as the word of God exposes who we really are and we will have to die for that if we're not really truly committed to following him, accepted him, received the gospel into our hearts. We're anxious we're not enough. We're worried that somebody else is better. We're scared that God won't accept us, so we begin to try harder. I don't want to be exposed. I'll just work harder to be good. We want God's rest. God is right when he when he says we reject the rest of God, he's correct. We do. We reject it. It tells us, God's word tells us that Jesus is the greatest, best, most fulfilling, only way to God. And we stand in front of God's word and we stand in front of his promises and they expose whether or not we really truly trust in that day by day, moment by moment. He says, Fear this. Remember chapter one, or chapter uh, four, verse one. This is why he's saying, "Be afraid of this. Fear this. Fear what? Fear this. That there is only death when you insist on doing life your way without Jesus at the center. There's no rest, and that is deadly for your soul. So, how does this kind of rest come into our lives? Because we desperately want it. We're looking for it. We're trying to put something in there." So how does it come into us? Look at verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How do we get this? We can get close to God. We draw near to God's throne of grace and mercy and rest every day now. And then there's going to be a day where we do it every day in his presence, like in his physical presence. How do we do that now? Listen, it's, we have a great high priest. Verse 14, is, it's the gospel. It's so awesome, right? Everything from verse 1 to verse 13 is terrifying. And then verse 14, we have a great high priest. You're not sacrificed and killed. Remember the language we just saw? See, he he directly references that, does he not? He goes to the sacrificial system, and he says, we are not sacrificed and killed because he was. 
He stood before the judgment of God and took the death that you and I deserve. So we don't experience sacrifice and death because he was killed, and that's enough to bring us into God's rest. He's the great high priest. We aren't left in our nakedness before God. Remember, laid bare and exposed? We're not left there because Jesus was stripped naked and exposed for all of us because of our sins. And because of that, we have a great high priest. And we can know that in his good, he's clothed us with his goodness, right? So we can enter into his rest. He went through extreme restlessness on the cross and agony on the cross so that we could have a rest that is finished. We can stop saying, I have to do it because Jesus said, I finished it. We have a great high priest. You guys see that? It wasn't a high priest who went through a ritual. It was a high priest who crawled up on the altar and sacrificed himself for our sins. Rest in that. Rest in that. Open the way to God for us to know him, for him to walk with us, for him to live inside of us, for him to call us his children, his loved ones. Rest in that. That's how it comes to us through the person of Jesus Christ. So what do you fear? And I mean that, like I really mean that. What are you afraid of? We were here last, I think it was Wednesday night, we were talking with some people and I'm like, there were little kids running around and I was like, man, remember when your kids were little? Like, what did you fear? Like they weren't gonna eat their vegetables at dinner, you know? They were going to chew their cheese into the shape of a gun and play like they had a gun in their hand or something, you know? Like, what's your biggest fear when your kids were little and stuff? And we have these fears in, a, in us throughout life. Like, they're, they're real fears. They're real terrors, right? So do you have parenting fears? Like, you're going to be a parenting failure? Like, that's your worst thing that'll happen to you. Financial failure, relationship failure. What's your fear? What are you afraid of? This text says this before all that stuff predating all those other fears. Fear that you are not a Christian, not really, but you think you are. Be afraid of that. That you would miss God's eternal rest. Second thing, he says, fear that you're not experiencing the moment-by-moment -moment rest, the finishing work of the Holy Spirit, the peaceful rest of life in Jesus Christ. We don't live in fear, we live in rest. The real satisfaction, the joy that you're looking for. Fear that you would miss that. And then he says this, remember it's God's rest. So God doesn't say, I have a rest for you. He says, you can have my rest. Now think about that. God's never in turmoil. God never lives in inner unrest, inner agony. He's at rest, man. And God says, I have that for you. You can experience the rest of God. This world is just a hollow, false promise. It only suggests rest. A Saturday rest only suggests the rest of our souls. A Sunday rest only points to the idea that we could have rest, right? Everything here is a hollow promise of the rest that's in God. God actually gives rest to us through faith in Jesus Christ, no matter what we're facing. He says this, there is a Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God. Don't you want this rest? Man, we came in here with so much stuff. You guys drug so much stuff in here. I mean, I did too. So many worries, so many fears, so much pain, so much stuff that we think is going to rule us and win. Like, it's gonna, this is going to win. It's going to beat me. Don't we want this rest? Don't we desperately need this rest? Not a day or a place we need Jesus. We need Jesus in us. 
We need Jesus' ways and his promise and his word. We've got to trust him, live in faith, moment by moment, that if I don't respond with an angry word to an angry word, that that's better because Jesus said it was better. I can rest in that, see? That vengeance is not mine, it's God's, and I don't have to go seek out vengeance on people. God's going to take care of justice. That's his deal. I can rest in that. That if my body dies, I know who's going to save my soul for eternity. I can rest in that. Do you guys see how it's very practical? That's what we want. So I would say for some of you, you have got to respond to the gospel today, and you've got to quit playing around. Quit playing church. Quit acting like you're better than you really are when we all know what's true and you know what's true. Quit thinking you're, you're faking out God. You've got to respond to the gospel in faith. Say, God, I can't do this anymore. You know what's really true in my heart. Give me your rest. Give me Christ. Save me. You need to do it today. As long as it's today, don't harden your heart. The minute you walk out of here, you get harder. Do you understand that? Every time you say no, you get harder. Every time. Quit saying no. Just say yes. And then the same thing I think would hold true for those of us who are following him. Daily trust in Jesus. Where We did this last week. Where are you struggling to trust in Christ? What seems too big? What seems too overwhelming? Trust in him. Is it your money or your career or your health? Daily, you have to trust in him. Your marriage, your role in marriage, whatever it is, do it his way. Trust in him. He's got you. He loves you. He's already provided. There's rest in him. There's rest in Christ. And then he says this a couple of times. Let us be diligent. Strive. He says work. Work hard. Let us be diligent. Let us encourage each other. Can we do that before you walk out of here today? Don't you know somebody that's struggling? Man, we, if you don't, just get in a life group. Like, get to know each other. Don't you know somebody that's struggling? Can't you just go to somebody today and say, man, God's got you. Don't quit. Keep going. Trust in him. His way really is better. He really is the best way. Right? Can't we do that for each other today? Let's encourage one another to trust in him today. Trust that his work in your spouse and your children will be enough. Trust in his provision. Somebody are, some of us are worried about just like jobs and where we're going to have a paycheck. Trust in God's provisions. Trust in God through pain and death. Trust that he holds you secure, that nothing can separate you from God and Jesus Christ. Trust him. And let's encourage each other that. We can pretend we've got it all together as long as life is good and as long as we look successful and as long as we have the pool and the big truck and the acclaimed job and a college degree and awesome hair and tattoos and a grande maca, you know, chai macchiato, whatever, you know. Like, it's easy to, to fake it, isn't it? When everything's good and everything's smooth, it's easy to pretend. until it all goes wrong or until we get criticized or until we're behind in sales or until our children act out so then what do we do we make a long list of other things that we need to do and we try harder don't we we don't rest it's easy to pretend when things are going well that you got it all together that you're resting but you just wait the minute something goes wrong what do you do you make a longer list of stuff to do to make sure that you can get it done so you can rest. That's how broken we are in all this thing.
let us draw near to God with confidence, y'all. That's what it says. Diligently, daily, moment by moment, confidently draw near to God. God, I need your rest right now. I need your rest in this. I can't do this. I can't see my way through. I don't know how. I have no idea how you work this out for good. I need your rest in my soul because it's killing me. It's chewing me up. Let us draw near to God with confidence. The only people who can come in confidence are the ones who are convinced that they have access to God every moment of the day. Do you guys get that? If you're not utterly, totally convinced that you can go to God all the time, you won't walk into him with confidence. You'll be cowed and sad and embarrassed and shameful, right? You're coming, God, I don't know, you don't really like me today, but if you can just see your way to give me just a little hay penny today, a little half a penny, Lord, a little gruel for my day today, Father. We just grovel in front of the Lord, man. That's not what Scripture says, does it? Need rest? Because you're an idiot and I'm an idiot and you screw things up and I screw things up. Let's walk into God's presence with confidence. God, I'm a total idiot. I have messed it up again. And even in my attempts to rest, my soul's in more turmoil now than when it started. And Dad, can you give me your rest today? Because I need it. I need you to pour it all over me. Generously give me your rest. Amen? The only people that do that are the ones that are convinced that you can do it on Monday morning at 8 and Tuesday at 6 and Wednesday at 2 and Thursday at 4 a.m. you got to be convinced you can walk into the throne room at any time and ask Dad for stuff. And you'll walk in with confidence. So let us walk into the throne room of God with confidence because we have a great high priest. God, I pray. I pray. I, I beg you. I beseech you, God, whatever the word would be, that you would give us this rest. I know many stories here and many others I don't know, but God, we come in without rest, don't we, here? There's so many of us in this room this morning and, and we're not experiencing the rest of God at home, in our relationships, in our finances, and jobs. We're just in inner, utter turmoil. God, give us your rest. Yes, we want provision and we want things to work out. We, we need solutions. God, our souls are just all wrapped up. We need to be unwound and rest in you. God, I pray that there, there are children here, there are teenagers here, college students, single moms, dads, patriarchs of families, grandparents. They've never been saved. They've played a game for a long time. I pray they would stand before the word of God this morning and it would cut to the heart of who they are and it would reveal to them that they need Jesus. Right now, right now, God, save somebody. To the point where they can't say no. They gotta jump up right now and say, I did it, I I need Jesus. Save somebody this morning. Father, thank you for this promise of rest. We need it. We really need this, God, more than anything else. So thank you that you promised us your rest and that Jesus made a way. Amen. Jesus made a way. In your name we pray, amen. So man, thank you guys so much for being here. We're going to take up our offering at this point. If you're a member, give, 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 give. Um, and give generously. There's tons and tons of ministry going on uh, that we want to do as best as we can, and uh, it usually costs finances and resources. So give if you're a member. If you're not a member here, don't give anything. Just thanks for being here. We'd love to give you a, give you a gift and tell you thanks for being here so you can fill out a card and drop it in the box. Uh, prayer requests, please give us your prayer requests also. Uh, we'd love to pray for you on Sunday morning. I'm going to get some bacon. Jared's going to give you some announcements. So. <laughs> <laughs>